Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. I'm Dan Thomas, joined by Stevie Nichols. Soak it in this weekend because another cumbersome international break is on its way. But before that, some big clashes across Europe. We'll start in the Premier League, shall we? Top of the table, Manchester City taking on Chelsea, who sit 10th, of course, after that victory against Spurs on Monday. Uh, let's have a look at how the bookies have things set. The game is at Stamford Bridge. Yet Chelsea still 4-1 to one, uh, to get the victory. A draw 27-10. City, meanwhile... Uh, uh, 11 to 8 on. Uh, for more on this, let's welcome in, shall we? Former Chelsea defender is here, Frank the Berth. Oh, and here are their predictions. Let me do that before we bring them in. Uh, I'm going for a draw. Jan's going for a draw. Frank and Stevie both going for a City victory. Uh, spoiler alert, Frank and Jan are with us. Uh, Jan, let's start with you. Why draw? Why draw? Because I was there on Monday. I was at the most intense and hectic game that I've ever mm. seen in my life, I think, between Tottenham and Chelsea. And I think that Chelsea have got themselves some self-confidence. So I take, I think they will take this on the bounce. I think that Manchester City will, will struggle against an enthusiastic Chelsea <laughs> team. So I go in for a draw. Project Pochettino has started and we were there live. Will City have nine men, Jan? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good point. <laughs> Very good point. They will, prob they will probably volunteer to start with, uh, with nine men. But, but I think that there was... It was funny. I mean, I, I talked to Pochettino after the game, made an interview with him. And my first question to him, didn't you understand that high line of uh, Tottenham that uh, maybe a midfielder can run into it? And, and he didn't want to talk about this. Surprise, surprise. Wow, upsetting people wherever you go, Jan. Uh, Frank, you don't have any faith in Chelsea despite that big win. No, because, I mean, you have to be realistic. Um, uh, as much as I would love to see the Blues winning against, uh, against City, um, I think you have to be professional and see clearly the differences between the two, the two teams. And uh, that, would, that would have been another club, any other club. I, would, I, I might would have put the same results because I think City is above everybody else first. And Chelsea, yes, I've watched that game against Tottenham. Uh, yes, they are a better, um, a, a, better, a, a better way of playing football, I would say. A better way of thinking positively from the Blues. But still, there's so much a big gap between, between those two teams that it's impossible for me to, uh, to say that Chelsea can win. Um, <laughs> and even against nine, against eleven uh, for City, I wouldn't sh be sure to put another oh. result than that one. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it weird, Stevie? Like if you said beforehand, Nico Jackson would get a hat trick, you think, oh wow, this is it. Yeah. This is exactly what he needed. It's been a rough start since making that move from La Liga. Yeah, if you saw the game, three was pretty much the minimum he could have got considering the chances. But yeah. still, it is a hat trick. Does it change anything like, going forward for him? Well, I'm sure he personally will think that it's a, a bit of a milestone uh, and that, you know, he's now ready to, to take opportunities that will come his way. It's just, it's very hard to go overboard and celebrate with him because of the circumstances. Right. And the truth is, the high line they played was absolutely ridiculous. And <laughs> so that's why it's tough to give him a lot of credit. Because we know he's missed a lot of chances, a lot of easy chances. And I don't think they're going to get as many chances in this game as they got, certainly against City, as they got against Tottenham. And the, and the mere fact as well that they probably should have lost more goals against nine men. Right. If Tottenham can do that to, to, to Chelsea with nine, what is City going to do with 11? So either way you look at this, 
whether it's the front line or the back line, this has got Man City all over it. And City, of course, brought in Doku over the summer, who really kind of was the shining star, wasn't he? It was Bournemouth, so maybe you could take a little bit away from that. But defensively, how do you stop someone who just has this pace and ability? Well, you have to bring him inside and then double up, basically, is what you do. You know, he's got too much pace that you show him the outside because he'll run past you. That means you've got to try and bring him into traffic and you've got to try and bring him into traffic early. You can't wait until you're in the edge of the box. You've got to try and do it early. Get as tight as you can, double up and bring him inside to where all the, where all the, the, the bodies are. But the one thing I would say about him, already, he looks like a match winner. Yeah. He's a guy, he's a game changer. And again, if we look at both of these sides, who's a game changer for Chelsea? Oh, Cole Palmer, people are getting excited about. Right, and even the way your tone was there, it was kind of a, it was kind of an apologetic. <laughs> Sorry, Cole Palmer. No. Whereas you go, you go the other side and you're picking names out. It could be Ford, and it could. I mean, you just there's there's three or four of them. Right, so it's very difficult to try and think that Chelsea's going to win this game. Uh, Jan, we watch a lot of football, obviously, and it's something that is just so enjoyable about watching someone like Doku, who just kind of plays with this pace and this skill. It's an unabandonment you know, way that he does it. It's fantastic. Yeah, and again, I think we have to praise Manchester City. It's easy to say they got all the money, they got this and they got that, and they win everything. But Doku, they picked him up. They picked up another player who kind of comes into the... The, the scholarship uh, by Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola more or less makes every player better that he comes there. Grealish on the left side, very vital last season for him in the treble season. Got to look over his shoulder now. Doku could be in the, the starting eleven ahead of him. And it's always his ability to do that. And, and in this game, it was amazing. It was eight players who had made four assists in one game. And, and, and Doku <laughs> uh, was, was, the, was the last one to do it. The first one was Bergkamp. I mean, that, that was some, some of a, a performance. Yes, it was Bournemouth, but sometimes it's also hard to, to bring down teams that stand as they do. But by getting a player like Doku, you got another skill in the team. And I think it's amazing to see how Manchester City managed to kind of, not only individual skill, what they're doing, but how quick they learn to play the Manchester City way. There, there is a freedom in an organised kind of system of Pep. It's, it's so much fun to watch, Frank. He is, he is, and it reminds me uh, uh, a little bit of Vinicius Junior, like two, three years ago. Same positioning, uh, uh, same pace, same skills, and uh, well, he's not there yet because Vinicius uh, uh, proved years after years that his, his consistency and his talent. But we have, yeah, an example of somebody who, uh, who can prove to the world that he's, uh, we found a new a new diamond and uh, and yeah it's fun because he put the pace he he he, he tricks everybody and uh, he, he brings a plus but he serves the others i mean how many assists in one game he has almost but still you know he plays with the others he understands the football he knows what the other are uh, are and uh, and he, he can finish action, and he's full of confidence. I mean, the the one two that he does with the with the the, the, the shot that he makes is somebody who doesn't question himself. Is somebody who mm. knows exactly what's going on. Do you know the you know the best thing about him? He does what the majority of wide players in the Premier League don't do, and and prob particularly the Premier League, but probably in, in Europe. It's when he gets to the top of the, or the edge of the box. And it's one-on-one, -on -one, 
He doesn't turn around and hit the ball back towards his own goal. Yeah. It's not, he doesn't do that. That's not in his mindset. It's one-on-one. -on -one. I'm faster than this guy. I'm taking him on. I mean, if, I wish other teams would, would watch him. And, and I wish other teams would understand that you make this fullback's job so easy when you turn around and yes. go backwards. The fullback's delighted that you don't take him on. But he doesn't do that. What's interesting as well, and Jan mentioned he got Jack Grealish, who was a big part of all that success last season, playing second fiddle at yep. the moment. He was struggling to get game time. Phil Foden in some ways as well. Kevin De Bruyne is still to come back. But you never really hear of too much disharmony from City because Pep doesn't have to put an arm around you and say, look, you get your chance. He's like, you're the best team in the world. What do you expect? Yeah. Yeah, but there's a, there's a you know, I use this word culture, but culture is, is important. Right. And... Yeah. And the culture is that everybody knows that there'll be times they won't play, but everybody knows that they'll get on the field. And so when you know, and you're just waiting for it to come, you're not sitting thinking about it. Right. Every time there's a team meeting, am I going to play? Am I not going to play? You want to be there. You just want to be part of this. And if it means you get half an hour, or it means you start next week, and they don't the next week, everybody accepts it. I mean, that is, that is man management. At its finest. And that's priceless, isn't it, Jan? Absolutely. And I think that I, I've, because of Erling, I've followed Manchester City and I see a lot of their games live and follow them that what is going on at the club. And it seems like there's a club in harmony. Yes, Stevie's culture is very important. And of course, it's easy to have harmony when you win football games. That is mm -hmm. true. But you, you, you see a lot of great teams. You don't feel they have that culture of like to be together. They enjoy being together. And if you see Manchester, Manchester City play, there is always, yes, they have a lot of individual players, but you see it's still the team first. You see how happy they are when other players score. They're all there in for each other. Does that mean that they don't have their individual targets or, or selfish targets for their career of course they are but but with, with Pep Guardiola you, you kind of get that harmony you get that winning culture you get in stand together and it's a very important uh, thing look at Pep when he has press conference talking about players not playing those are the ones he plays more than the ones playing mm. sometimes and that is that is man management as his best of course uh, meanwhile for Chelsea Frank expectations this season where do we stand any chance of a top four place I don't think so. I mean, we already talked about that during the show and uh, in the show, but I mean, it would be unreal or surreal to think that right now Chelsea can finish in the, in the first four. I mean, you have to be reasonable. You, are, you have to see um, the, the, the weaknesses and the quality that the club, uh, the, the players have. Um, yes, they have talents. But again, we have a lack of experience. We don't know where we are right now. Um, the fans expect a lot and they have the right to expect a lot coming from a, a, a club spending so much money. But when you see on the field what's going on, you know, you see as a former player that there are lacks of many, many things and, uh, and coordination between lines, uh, players being coming back from injury, not ready to, to play. Uh, of course, the front line is not there yet and we didn't resolve anything from last season. So expecting something from, from this team, this squad right now, is, um, is uh, living in another world, is uh, having a fantasy but he's not living in the real world.
So Chelsea against City, big tie on Sunday. Meanwhile, what's still now to be a very intriguing tie now is the one at Molyneux. Wolves taking on Spurs. Time's summing up nicely. So how does Ange cope in a crisis? Why is he in a crisis? Well, all his players are suspended or injured. Uh, let's just take a look, shall we? Who is unavailable? James Madison out for the calendar year. Uh, Richarlison is out as well, of course. Van de Ven, who's been fantastic, is out. Romero as well is suspended. Here we go, Steve. This is one of your cliches, isn't it? Coaching is so easy when things are going well, yep. but it's when you're up against it, you find the true character of your manager and your team. Yeah. I think, I think that what we'll see from Tottenham will be all of these players that haven't actually played trying to do exactly what the team has been doing from the start of the season. There's no question. Because he'll, he'll have involved all of these players in what he's wanting to do, as you do as a coach, for the, the very reason that you know that players are going to get injured, mm -hmm. players are going to get suspended. And so now he will find out about his squad. He, he knows he's got a, a starting 11. He's, he's shown us that his starting 11, between now, or, or certainly the start of the season and now, can play, can win games, and can perform the way he wants them to. He's going to find out, starting against Wolves, what his backup's like. Is his backup good enough to keep them at the club so that when the next time around we get suspensions and everything else? So for him, this is about playing the same way. And that's why this gear has to have goals all over it. Let's take a look at the predictions. Uh, you indeed have gone for goals. I've gone for goals as well. Uh, both of us thinking it's going to be a draw, 3-3-2-2. Frank's gone 1-1. Johan, you think it's going to be a Wolves victory. It's interesting, isn't it, when uh, we, we, li we like to love people we, and we all love Postacoglu. Even when he played that line up front, up, we think, wow, Chelsea, Tottenham got more credit after the game than Chelsea, we said, because we love, <laughs> we love, we love Postacoglu to, to do well. Yeah, I, I think that this could be that game that would be very difficult for them. Uh, of course, Wolves will get a dodgy penalty against, so they will probably, as the last two games, something will happen. With a with a with a penalty situation with them, but still, I think that when you see all the defenders, when you saw all the uh, players out there, I think Madison would be vital for them. But at Wolves, you have to stand good at the back. Do I think that Postecoglou can find a way? Yes, I do. But I think in this game, Wolves will will win it. Go on, Frank. Uh, I'm concerned about the, the, the centre-backs. I mean, when you lose one guy, uh, uh, already one of the two uh, who normally play, it's already a concern. But when you lose the two of them, Romero and, and Van de Ven not playing, he, it's, a, it's a real issue. It's a real problem for, for Postecoglou, for the, the, uh, um, for the team and how they're going to work. You can always try to find something offensively. Madison is not there, but you can cope with somebody else. But defensively, it's about habits. It's about uh, uh, automatic reflexes that you have between the players. And then you're going to lose everything because of the two missing. So they will have to work on that. And I'm sure they've been working on that this week uh, to, to, to avoid um, problems and misunderstandings. But I, I really think that's going to be the main concern for me. Against uh, a Wolf team, we're going to put the pressure make, to make sure there are some, some, some issues and, and again, misunderstanding between the, the defenders and even the, the midfielders. 
That is the early game then on a Saturday and what a clash it should be between Wolves and Spurs. Uh, let's take a look at all of the fixtures that are coming up in the Premier League, shall we, over the next couple of days. Man United, Luton, eh? Oof. Oh, what, could, a, po what must... could possibly go wrong? Can you imagine seeing three or four weeks ago, this is a must-watch. Uh, Arsenal, Burnley, <laughs> Palace, Everton, maybe not a must-watch. Uh, Bournemouth, Newcastle is the late game. Sunday sees Villa take on Fulham. Brighton, Sheffield United, West Ham, Forest, Liverpool, Brentford, and as we mentioned, the late game is Chelsea against Manchester City. We'll say goodbye to Frank uh, for now. As always, you can catch up with Frank on Extra Time. He will be over on our YouTube channel. Cheers. That's all right. Blame <laughs> Eleanor. Blame Eleanor for sending me that video. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled, and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Full programme of matches then live on ESPN Plus uh, throughout the weekend from Germany. And it's a German table that is Bayer Leverkusen sitting top. Three points clear of Bayern Munich. We'll talk about uh, Leverkusen in a moment. But first, Archie Rintut is with us, uh, as is Jan. Archie, Harry Kane, he's good. <laughs> Dan, he's really good. He's really yeah. good. Getting the chance to see him play every week. Is a privilege, I've got to say. I knew how good he was in front of goal, but his build-up play and with his back to goal and when he's running away from it as well has been quite something to watch. I think it helps that he's come into the club without a real knowledge of the workings of the internal and external politics as well because there's always a lot of that blowing about by Munich. And he's just been able to come in, do his job, and I think that's been a breath of fresh air for everybody there that they had somebody who's so consistent and has this certainty when he gets in front of goal that you know that the net is going to ripple. And he's on course to break a record that looks unbreakable, which Robert Lewandowski set a few years ago. It's been a really good start and you can actually see that he's been getting better the more time he's had to play with his teammates as well. Going forward with Jamal Musiala, Kingsley Comor and... It's, uh, it's, it's a frightening prospect for the rest of the league, just how well that he's playing right now. Are the German fans surprised how good he is, Archie? I 
I don't think so, because on the other hand, he costs a hundred million and yeah. that is money that no one else in the league can spend. The fact that the gap between Bayern and Dortmund, even just in terms of budget, like Bayern's wage budget is nearly twice as much as Dortmund's. So that that tells you something that how much that they're paying Harry Kane. And when there is that sort of gap in terms of what you're paying your your top striker as well, it's, I think, to be expected that he was going to do well. I think he's just performing a little bit above the expectations. I wouldn't say that everybody in Germany is like, wow, isn't this great? In fact, I, I spoke to an Eintracht Frankfurt fan who was like, great, came to the Bundesliga. That means he's going to come to my club and score three goals. Fantastic. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's openly welcomed by all Bundesliga fans because they know that it just decreases. <laughs> The, uh, the likelihood of their team taking any points off Bayern. But for Bayern, it, it's certainly something they needed, albeit it's a shiny plaster because they also desperately need another defender and a holding six, as has been the phrase in Germany, hmm. a.k.a. a defensive midfielder. Hey, Jan, they were right not to give old Lewandowski that Ballon d'Or. It's easy to score in Germany. Absolutely. It is the easiest thing to do, to go there and do what Kane is doing. The only problem is doing the same thing in the Champions League, isn't it? He's doing it everywhere. And I, I was thinking that uh, UK sent the Beatles to Hamburg in, in the beginning mm. of the 60s. Then you sent Kevin Keegan there in the end of the 70s. And now Harry Kane. You can't have a better, you can't have a better ambassador for, for your country, for your league. And this makes, yes, I'm with a heart you, I mean, Good that you mentioned a Frankfurt fan because we are afraid, of course, that he will score against us. But still, this is a very plus for the German Bundesliga because when you're losing all the players out of the league, they call you the Farmers League. They call this is the place where you go with your young players and they, they go into the Premier League. Harry Kane is doing fantastic. And, and Harry Kane also kind of help Tuchel with all the soap opera in and around it because you know when the goals get tough he will be there it's no coincidence that the only goal a game that they lost this season was Saarbrücken in the Pokal in the cup and then he mm. was on the bench of course but then he came back in the Classica took another hat-trick so yeah amazing how he's doing and did we know that he would score a lot of goals for Bayern of course we did but I, I'm still a bit surprised at how quick he has adjusted to the way they are playing and and as Archie was mentioning he's doing the players around him better there is no coincidence that the Leroy Sané or a Musiala and all are more constant in their performances because they have someone to play with a very not only a brave but also a very intelligent striker like Harry Kane around them uh, Jan mentioned the soap opera Archie what what is it Thomas Tuchel's hated by his players and the board. That's quite impressive. No, 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 no. So the soap opera is with Sky in Germany and the criticism that Tuchel has had to take about from Didi Harman and Lothar Matthäus about there being no development in the way that they play, which I think is actually a fair observation overall but Tuchel has been confronted with this consistently at his press conferences to the point that he's gone, I've had enough. Added to that, after the Zarbrücken game where they were knocked out of the cup by, let's not forget, the team that was 15th in the third division, that it was then, there was then these talks of Tuchel doesn't get on with his players and that all kind of molded into one and Tuchel exploded 
both before and after the Dortmund game. So that's what is creating this noise. And and the thing is, is at Bayern, you don't look at results in the same way that I would say you would with a normal club. Because if you were going purely on results and you looked at the ways that coaches have been either sacked or left the club in the last 12 years, I think you have to go back 12 years to the last time you would say you saw a normal departure because of results. And that was when Louis van Gaal was in charge. There have been six or seven different full-time coaches with your Pankis' time in charge. Difficult to really define that exact number. But Bayern Munich is a different beast. And it's why these things, these aesthetic things matter. And that let's not forget, Bayern went out on a limb by sacking Julian Nagelsmann when they did. And so far... The best performances have come against Borussia Dortmund, a team that seemed to have a mental deficit against Bayern Munich. It needs to happen more often that they are not conceding so many chances and that they are dominating teams in the way that they have done in the past. Bayern Munich's biggest enemy is themselves in the last 10 years and the fact that they've been so dominant and there have been better forms of this team during that period. On, yeah. But, but, but yeah, but the funny thing is that we we can't. I mean, we have to explain the soap opera. And I tried to do it short because Tuchel, when he had a go at Lothar Matthäus after the game, he was he was a bit worried. So he said to friends, "Oh, I think I went too far here." So what happened the next day is that all the management, all the leaders of Bayern said, "Well done, son. Well done. That's what we do. Go attack." As uh, the 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 attacker like Uli Hoeneß used to do, and and then things change a bit around, and then they start with the intrigues. So the last intrigue now is not only Lothar Matthäus, but to make the soap opera even more worse now is that the host of Sky, Sebastian Hellman, who is a great girl pundit, I worked with him for three years, one of the best around. But he got the same agent as Julian Nagelsmann. So Bayern says, well, I think that they want to Nagelsmann to be better than Tuchel. And this is to be continued. So at the moment, there is, they are with Thomas Tuchel. If he lose against Heidenheim, then they probably say he should never have done this after the Dortmund game. But the good thing about Tuchel is that he, he doesn't care. But still, he has realized how important to have the players on his side. So see this as a way to keep the players with him. And I have to say to the critics who says he should never have done this uh, after the 4-0 at Dortmund. But what, when should he have done it? When should a coach do that? And they can live with it. This is good for Lothar Matthäus. It's good for Didi Hamad. It's good for Sky. They're, they're, this is the part of the sportainment. This is the rock and roll and we like it. Yeah, exactly. A little bit of fun, isn't it? Bayern, of course, are through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Meanwhile, if Borussia Dortmund played Newcastle every week, they'd be the greatest team in the world, Archie. (laughs) (laughs) I I still am scratching my head as to how they managed to take six points off them. I think in this reverse game that happened in the last week, injuries certainly played a role. But it shows you, I think, coming back to what we were saying about Dortmund's relationship with Bayern, how there is something about when there is a certain level of stress or pressure that this team and this club can't handle it right now. You saw it on the final day of last season. You saw it in the game in Munich as you have 
for the last however many seasons I've lost count. And even in the reverse fixture, in the corresponding fixture, which we're going to see tomorrow, away at Stuttgart, where last year they were 2-0 up and had a man more than Stuttgart, who were in the thick of a relegation battle. Stuttgart came back to 2-2. Dortmund scored to make it 3-2 in injury time and still managed to throw it away and draw 3-3. And so for whatever progress that is being made by Edin Terzic, there is always going to be this lingering question Despite the fact of that magnificent performance away in Newcastle, for example, the lingering question, particularly after that buy-in game last week, of how far has this team really come when they showed such a gutless performance in Munich, both in April and then once again at home this time. And it's a question that is going to have to be answered over a series of weeks and months. And yeah, I still think that Dortmund could be vulnerable again tomorrow because this is a Stuttgart side that have been playing so well. Seyrugi Rassi has completed a training session on Friday. He'll be back in the squads, which is huge because only Harry Kane has scored more than him. And maybe Girassi would have more than Kane had he not pulled out with an injury a few weeks ago. So it's, it's going to be a real test for Dortmund. But there are still these big question marks I have about them in the long term over, over them. Okay, so it's not Dortmund, of course, that is pushing Bayern Munich at the moment. As you mentioned, the Dortmund and Bayern Munich game are on at the same time. And then on Sunday, it's once again all about Bayer Leverkusen, Archie. I don't mean to be the pessimistic one, but when's it all going to fall apart? <laughs> <laughs> is that is that your answer? To, is that your answer to the Jose Mourinho thing? You, you would be the pessimistic one. Yeah, I can believe yes. that. <laughs> um, so, because so Xavi think, Alonso can do nothing wrong at the moment. No, and I, I think that even the way he's been treating his team in the Europa League, where he's been playing for the most part his strongest side, he's been turning things upside down in terms of the logic that you see clubs like Leverkusen approach that competition and everything is going well. The fact they've had a long trip uh, during the week, I think it was a six-hour flight they had to take to, to go and play Carabag. Will that be in their legs against Union Berlin? So far, nothing has been. The biggest question mark I have over Leverkusen is in goal. Lukas Radetzky is renowned as one of the great characters in the Bundesliga, but I think that often he has shown that he's got a mistake in him. And you saw that against Hoffenheim last week. And there is something that I, about the centre-backs who have been doing really well for them so far, Tar, Tapsoba, who have been showing things that we've not seen from them over a consistent basis. I think those are the potential areas where they could be let down. And there is still this Leverkusen, Neverkusen tendency that is still not out of my system, even though they've won nine games <laughs> and the only game they've drawn was away at Bayern. And they probably should have won that. So I think they can keep going for now, for sure. Like they've got so much going for them in attack with Boniface, Hoffman, Wirtz. It, it's a, it's an amazing attack to watch. And against an Union Berlin side that sure they drew in Napoli, but they're still, I would say, pretty low on confidence. Uh, Xavi Alonso, the absolute man at the moment, Jan. Absolutely, and but what is interesting with him as not only a good coach but he's also a good leader. Is that He's been in just over a year, and the way he did his recruiting this summer, if you see uh, Grimaldo for a free in, fantastic for that. Need a bit of experience, Hoffman from Gladbach, Boniface, 
Uh, I mean, there's so many players, and Florian Wirtz. I mean, we have some great, Mimutsialia, Wirtz, Bellingham, and Haaland. I mean, this, this is your new golden ge- generation. Uh, I'm Haaland into this again. Oh. Oh. I came from Germany, <laughs> if still, still. Still, still. Last time I checked, he came from Germany uh, at, at the moment. So they still, still kind of produce these kind of players. But what is interesting with Leverkusen now? I mean, we have. Do we? Do I? Oh, do you think that they will win the league? Probably we are still not convinced. But I would say at the moment, at least they are the main challenger. I think they are seven points ahead of Dortmund at the moment. And I can't see... I mean, they're playing Union Berlin now. I mean, everybody will win against Union Berlin, except Napoli, of course, in the Champions League. But Union <laughs> Berlin is struggling at the moment. Uh, but Leverkusen, there is no way... When you see them play, as Archie was mentioning, how they're doing in Europa League, there is no way you can see that breaking down. Will they can they lose games? Of course they can, but you can't see this Dortmund kind of thing. There's no way that they should just break down. I was there when they, when they uh, drew at Allianz uh, against Bayern, and they were the better team. They always came back in that game, which is impressive. I haven't seen that from Dortmund for the last couple of three years. Uh, Jan, we'll say thank you very much. Which game are you going to then tomorrow then? Archie, I assume you're in a hotel room now or, uh, yeah. Correct. Uh, Stuttgart Dortmund for me tomorrow. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Oh, look, Jan's excited by that. Jan's got the weekend <laughs> off. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> just a reminder then, we've got uh, five games for you on Saturday, including Bayern and Borussia Dortmund. And then on Sunday, as we mentioned, it's Bayern Leverkusen against Union Berlin. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all had Girona, of course. Top of La Liga after 12 matches. That's how it stands. Real Madrid, two points behind them. Barcelona, four off the pace. And maybe lucky to be so, considering what we saw take place at the weekend. Of course, Real Sociedad with a late, well, conceding the late goal. And then in the Champions League, Barca losing against Shakhtar. Now, this doesn't really have any repercussions uh, regarding their qualification. They will go through to the knockout stages, bar an absolute nightmare for Xavi's side. But it just adds to the rhetoric at the moment that Barca aren't where many expected them to be. Certainly the recruitment that we saw over the summer, the players they brought in late. And let's not forget, these are the defending La Liga champions. Uh, For more on this, let's welcome in, shall we, Uh, from Spain, Alex Kirkland joins us. Alex, I'm intrigued as to how loud the rumblings around Barcelona are at the moment. 
Yeah, Chaffee's under pressure. There's no question about that. There's significant pressure because that Shakhtar defeat was not an isolated incident. It's not just about that game. I think you can look back at the last few weeks, maybe stretch it a bit more in the last few months, and Barcelona are not playing particularly well. They're, they're, they're really not. They've, you know, they lost this game. They lost in the Classico. They actually played okay in the Classico. But otherwise, when they've been winning games, they've been scraping their way through, as we saw against Real Sociedad, as you mentioned. There have been a couple of draws against teams they shouldn't be drawing with. They're quite simply not playing very well. It's as simple as, as that. And so that, that pressure continues to, to grow. Of course, Xavi, he's got a lot of credit in the bank. You know, they won the league yeah. last season, very, very recently. They, they were the best team in, in Spain. He's also a, he's a club legend. He's one of the greatest players in Barcelona's history. Um, and he happened to be, you know, one of the key players in one of the best teams in Barca's history as well. But I think that's part of the problem for Xavi, because he's so associated with that Pep team that played some of the best football that we've ever seen. It was sort of expected that he'd come in as coach and sort of replicate that level of entertainment. And it hasn't happened so far, even last season when they won the league. It wasn't particularly sparkling football. There are a lot of one nils, you know, week yeah. after week. And so people aren't entirely happy. It, we're not getting to the point where it's, you know, it's not quite crisis time yet. And like I say, he's got a lot of credit in the bank, but, but people are not too happy with the way the team are playing right now, for sure. What are they saying about Lewandowski, Alex? He's not scoring. And it's not just that he's <laughs> not scoring goals. If you look at the stats from the last few games, he's not getting chances. I mean, the last few games, you look at the stats and he's been scoring or he's been getting maybe one shot on goal in a game or two shots on goal or no shots in a game. There have been a couple of games like, like that. Now, of course, part of that is about the team. Part of that is about the service that he's getting or not getting. So you can't put all the blame on Lewandowski. He can't do this by himself. But this is a goal drought. There's no question about that. And people are starting to say, well, is he starting to look his age? You know, is he past his best? Is this the start of a a start of a decline. We can't write him off just yet. You know, he might well go on a scoring run in the next few games, just as he did before this drought. I think it's six games without a goal for Barca. But before that, he had five or six goals in a run of games. So things could change pretty pretty fast. But there are one or two questions. And, and some people are asking, well, is he the kind of forward this Barca team needs? Could they do with someone a little bit more mobile, a little bit uh, with, but with more movement, not quite as static as he's increasingly looking at? But like I say, it's not that he's getting chances and missing them is that he's not getting into goal-scoring positions, and that's the worry, I think, for Barca. How much can you offer an excuse to Xavi? Of course, you're at Montjuic, not the camp now. We know the difference there between the two stadiums. Of course, no De Jong. Pedri's been out for a long time as well. Yeah, they've had, they've had some injuries. That, that's true. But they've got a pretty strong squad. You mentioned the players they brought in over the summer did some good business despite their financial constraints. And I think you look at the teams that Barca have been able to put out despite those injuries and you think those teams should be, should be good enough, should have more than enough to be playing better football and to be getting better results. Pedri is, is back now and, and that's really important because Pedri is, is massively important for them. But um, you've got other alternatives in midfield. Players like, like Gavi, players like Gundogan who came in in the summer. Frankie de Jong is a big miss and we still don't know when Frankie is going to be back and I think that is really important to kind of the fluidity of Barca's play I think they, I think they miss him a, a great deal but I, I'm not sure if injuries alone are, are an excuse to be honest I'm not sure if playing at Montjuic is, is enough of an excuse either uh, As we mentioned of course Barca in the end got the win against Real Sociedad who've become the darlings of Europe uh, this week they were brilliant again in the Champions League sweeping Benfica aside and the reason I just wanted to bring them up Alex, is the fact that this is quite the story considering the squad that they have. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, and it's pretty much a purely good news story as well, because this is a team that is packed full of homegrown talent. They've got this incredible 
an academy that keeps producing these players who are, who are filling the team. They don't spend a great deal of money. Uh, they've got a coach, Imanol, who's sort of a, a man of the club as well. He's a massive Real Sociedad fan, and this means so much to, to him, the kind of football they play as well, which I think is, is exciting and dynamic and aggressive, and they play on the front foot. And, and it's getting results, especially in the Champions League. And you think about a team, remember, not in the Champions League for a decade. Real Sociedad and the last a decade ago the last time they were there they didn't win a single group game you had to go back 20 years before this this season for them to get a Champions League win and so what they're doing now you kind of think a team might need time to adapt to the top level of European football a team might need a season or two to sort of get up to speed in the Champions League hasn't been the case at all for for L'Areal and people are talking about them now as being potential I mean, look, not, not dark horses to go and win it. That would be a step too far. But to progress, you know, they're going through now. They're in the last 16. And after that, anything is possible. The quarterfinals or, or maybe even the semis. And yeah, it, it's really nice to be talking about a, a La Liga team doing that in the Champions League. That isn't one of the traditional, you know, big three for sure. To that point, let's go to Real Madrid. <laughs> Alex, of course, uh, through to the next round. What was interesting this week was the noise, once again, we heard around Kylian Mbappe moving or not moving. So much so Real Madrid came out and, and, and made a statement. It's not even international week. Normally it's a quiet week when we hear these Mbappe stories. Yeah, and the problem with putting out these denials about, you know, no talks, no negotiations, is that then people start to sort of question every time that you don't put out a denial don't they? You know, you can't deny every single story, every single rumour. So how do you choose what to deny and, and when? There have been one or two uh, stories as well here in Spain subsequent to that that denial that Real Madrid put out saying that the club have sort of decided uh, finally to, to sort of walk away from Mbappe. That There's no sort of consensus around that, just one or two isolated reports at, at this stage. But it is interesting after so many years this, you know, one of the longest running transfer sagas that anybody can remember. You know, we thought it was going to happen this summer. We thought it was going to happen last summer. We thought it was going to happen the summer before that. It still hasn't happened. It would be quite something if at this stage, Madrid decided to, to, to walk away and said, look, we've, we've, we've had enough of, of this. I'm not convinced that we're at that stage yet. But of course, we're getting there because from January, Mbappe will be, will be free to negotiate with any club that he wants because his PSG contract expires uh, next summer. The other interesting thing that's always been, of course, in the background to all of these Mbappe links is exactly how he would fit into the Real Madrid team. Is there a clash there with Vinicius Jr., who plays on the left of the attack? That's where Mbappe uh, wants to play. Uh, one thing for sure is that, as we know, Real Madrid do not have a number nine this season. They literally don't have a number nine. The number nine shot was left vacant for the first time ever this season. So that, that sends a message that clearly there is a vacancy there. They will be looking to bring a forward in next summer, right? I think, and of course, we've all assumed that Mbappe would be the guy once again. Um, but it's it, it's interesting, like I say, first that the club chose to put out that denial about talks at, at this stage, and then one or two reports subsequently that they might be sort of uh, belatedly getting cold feet around Mbappe. Uh, Alex, as always, uh, much appreciated. A full program of La Liga action then live here on ESPN Plus. It all starts in Madrid. Rave are currently taking on Girona, who, of course, have the chance to stretch their lead at the top of the table with Real Madrid in action later in the day at the Santiago Bernabeu as they take on Valencia. Then on Sunday, the early kickoff for Barca as they take on Alaves. Coverage of that game will start at 9.45. Also, you've got Seville against Real Betis. Of course, the Seville derby. And speaking to us ahead of that game, here's Manuel Pellegrini.
We know that we are in a good moment, that they are in a bad moment, but the, the, or the derby will equalize all those things. The atmosphere of their stadium is, is, will be different, the players will play in a different game. So we can't believe that because they are not playing well and we have good results, we are going to win that, that, that derby. We are going to win that derby if we, if we, have, we are able to play or to continue playing the way we are doing and not to, maybe as I always say to the players, uh, to have your mind uh, cold, so not to be uh, making mistakes that after that affect the result, and your heart hot, so you give all of you can you can give as a team, as an, as an individual player, to beat the most important rival for our fans. It's always an extraordinary atmosphere, isn't it, Sanchez Pijuan, for such a big game. Uh, you can watch it live on Sunday. Coverage starts 12.30 Eastern here on ESPN+. Meanwhile, this weekend we'll see the final of the NWSL as OL Reign take on Gotham. What a clash this should be. Uh, we heard yesterday, didn't we, from Megan Rapino. Let's hear from the other side now as Ali Craiger spoke to Sebastian Salazar. How has having this also become Megan Rapino's farewell impacted your experience of this, you know, championship week? It's been incredible to share such, um, uh, you know, our careers together and, and such a monumental moment for both of us in the NWSL. Like I said, we've really maxed out uh, our stay and, and really made this season, you know, memorable for both of us. And I think that, um, you know, we, we are going to share the field one last time. Unfortunately, we're not on the same team. <laughs> I mean, look at these photos. Look I mean, at it's, these it's, photos. I mean, y'all have known each other I don't think forever. They picked, I don't think they chose the best one. <laughs> Um, production, que onda production? Uh, yeah. Come on, guys. Um, no, but this is such a, an amazing moment for both of us, and I'm so proud of her. Mm -hmm. um, not only just as my friend, but as you know, a former teammate with the national team, and so many years playing together. I've learned so much from her, um, and I hope she could say the same. And she's made me look so good out there that this is going to be really exciting to share this one last moment um, of our career together. And I couldn't have dreamt it uh, a better way. And I, I'm just thrilled. Do you remember your first Pino? encounter do you remember like when you first met her and how the friendship started yeah I was coming into camp in 2010 I think back on the national team um, I had a couple stints like before the Olympics in 2008 um, unfortunately didn't make it but I was an alternate and so I didn't rejoin the team until 2010 consistently and she you know I was just this girl from coming in from Germany and mm -hmm. I think we just really connected um, just I don't know our personalities and um, the things we spoke about and and just I guess our humor and and that was really enjoyable to me that was what attracted to you know her to me most was just having those really deep conversations that we could really enjoy outside of you know the soccer field mm. I think um, on the field of course we're close right we're teammates but then off the field when you really connect with with people and your, and your friends that that's really what it's all about mm. so you've grown up together also together you've kind of had a chance to watch the NWSL grow up as you both kind of get ready for your last game and you know obviously we're here celebrating the TV deal that was just announced today right. do you ever think like wow and for in your case and I don't want to date you but it's not just <laughs> NWSL it's like WPS like you know you know the history yeah. of women's soccer how difficult it's been you know to, to get that continuity um, do you ever look back and marvel and be like wow I can't believe where, where we are today, given what you know about where we've been. For sure, and I think the first year, I mean, our purpose was to help this league mm. uh, succeed and to really see it through, and we knew what was at stake. I mean, all of us basically came together, and we knew that we had to really give it our all. We had to work really 
hard every single day to get to where we are now. I mean, I remember not even having like a pair of socks my first mm -hmm. year and I had to, you know, go and try to find a pair of socks. And to now uh, we're sitting in this, you know, beautiful venue talking about our game, a mm -hmm. championship game. And, and this is like an elite level now. And I feel like when the players feel that you feel important, you feel valued, appreciated, you're going to be more motivated to want to perform and, and have a better product out on the field. So, yeah, I am so proud and happy to see where we've come because those were some dark days mm. early on and we fought and fought and fought and we've we've won and won and won in order to now get to where we are and these players deserve the best in order to get a good product and I think if we continue that um, there's there's no doubt in my mind that this will just progress mm. and, and grow in such a positive direction in the future. A lot more then on the NWSL final and that, of course, record-breaking TV deal on Football Americas. Be sure to check it out on ESPN+. And that's it. That brings us to the end of today's show. However, Frank and Jan waiting patiently in the wings to return for extra time. Stephen Nickel here as well to answer your questions. Stay with us. Welcome then to the latest edition of Extra Time. Stevie with us here in the studio. Frank joins us. Jan is also here who told us he's got the weekend off, rare weekend off during the season. And, he's... and you're going to a third division Norwegian game. Why? Yeah, I have to go I have to go to my local team just up the road. It's an early kickoff, so it's okay. I met my wife again, beautiful, brilliant wife, and we have a fantastic <laughs> weekend ahead of us. <laughs> oh, very good. And Frank, you you're you're in the play this weekend, I assume? Yeah, tomorrow I have to uh, perform twice, uh, one at 6 wow. p.m. and one at 7.30. It's Sunday afternoon as well. Oh. I um, will work tomorrow tomorrow evening with uh, with you guys, ESPN, and uh, and Sunday night I have to go to Lens Marseille for the Bleu de France. I'm the uh, uh, ambassador of the Bleu. The Bleu is like the puppies for you in, in England. Ah. So, yeah, a, a very busy weekend, but... Uh, only with passion, so it's fine. I, yeah. I saw you put out a post, Frank, what, that your play is the number one in Paris at the moment, which made me think, how bad is the theatre scene in France? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, we, we were... Uh, the, the people were booking... The, it's a site where the people were booking the, the, the most tickets. And uh, and the ticketing is very is going is going very well. We are uh, fully packed since uh, the last uh, last week, and um, we've been performing only for for the first uh, three weeks. And yeah, we are number one. But I don't think it is what you said. It's just because we are only being successful, my dear. Oh, there you are. And, and, and boys at the same boys, time. Yeah, I'm very, hum boys, very humble. And the boys, we are a great team here at ESPN. And I must say, I was proud this week. And I was in England. I bought my papers, came up and prepared for the Premier League game. And I opened the sp sports kind of thing. And there is Frank in his theatre. Eh? And that oh. was fantastic. Yeah, great press in England as well. So I was very proud of you, Frank. How was his humble levels Thank in the interview, Jan? <laughs> He was very humble. He didn't say that he was a world champion or something. He just said, I want an Oscar. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Uh, right, oh let's talk soccer. Uh, would Xabi Alonso, coaching a club not named Bayern Munich to a Bundesliga title, be greater than managing any other club to anything else, Jan? 
I think that if if you now after is it 11 years now or 11 seasons that somebody will kind of make that and take Bayern down from the throne, he will be a legendary uh, manager. Uh, Edin Terzic had a chance, only, only beating Mainz at home in the last game. We know all about that didn't happen. But Alonso got the chance. But Alonso, we, we just see how he's doing it, it uh, at Leverkusen, the way he, uh, the, his team play, the way his leadership is, the way he's recruiting players. We know that Alonso will go all the way. And with the background he got at Real Madrid or, or Liverpool or Bayern Munich, we, we know that he will be a, a, around not only for Leverkusen but some of the big cl- big clubs and no dis- disrespect to Leverkusen who, uh, who where he is at the moment. He'll be at Madrid, won't he? Next season, Jan, you imagine with Ancelotti going to Brazil? Oh yeah, they say he got a clause in his contract that could be activated only by these three clubs that I mentioned. So will it be between him and maybe a, a, a Raul maybe get a chance if they can't get Alonso? I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, for Dan, start mm. bench or sell? Jan's fish race video, <laughs> Shaka's commercial, or Stevie raking leaves? <laughs> it's very angry or leave raking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you don't. I, but I, the I, thing I, you don't quite get when we show it is Eleanor's uh, commentary as well. Your wife is got a commentary. She on puts it? commentary on it. Oh, really? Yeah, which does involve some swear words. Oh. So it's something we can't uh, we can't publish. Um, so this was obviously Stevie earlier in the week. Uh, it's been a while, I suppose, since we've shown Jan's uh, fish video. We got that to hand as well. That's yeah. still brilliant. It's got to be the, Jan's fish. has got to be top of the chart. <laughs> yeah, Jan, Jan's has got to be the oh, best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Frank, would you like to chip in? <laughs> for Frankies. I, I mean, Frank, Frank has won the World Cup. What has I known for? <laughs> Racing against the fish. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking about Jan the other day. Oh, yeah? I was, yeah. I was up the woods with a dog, and the dog got a bit of a gallop going. Right. And I, I thought, I'll try and, rather than pull him back, I thought, I'll have a wee try here and see if I could get, get moving. Right. And as soon as I started, I thought about Jan. <laughs> <laughs> Who would win a race between you and Jan? No, Jan. Hmm? Jan. No, I'm not Jan. sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid not sure. the fish would beat me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Jan, I was thinking about you as well because I heard Roy Keane talking about uh, punching you that time. He said he didn't really hit you that hard, but you went down really really easily. The good thing, Dan, when you are doing, doing stories like this, you take it totally opposite because the funny thing is that when I see this, this is this is about Roy Keane is doing a program with Gary Neville and Ian Wright and Jill Scott. They're doing a, a, a program called Overlap and he's talking about Roy Keane's red cards and started with him stamping Gareth Southgate and he said, yeah, he deserved that. And yep. then my was uh, I was third or something. And yes, it was at Old Trafford. It's a, it's a funny thing. He, he just turns around. We have a a little duel and he just turns around and, and tried try to knock me down I got away but the good thing I don't go down that is the main thing I, I could have done but I played for a couple of three years in England and I was told I remember I came to England and I had a small dive I call it small dive against Liverpool Neil Ruddock came over to me and he said words that I've never heard before so I try <laughs> never to dive again in English football so but it was a funny Roy Keane when he's talking about his red cards for fun of course, none of them was his mistake. No, he said he didn't connect with you, Jan. No, he didn't because I threw. I, I, people should go in and have a look at it because when he tried to knock me, I, I managed to go away. So oh, he got in, go all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You good reaction. Can't wait. Yeah, instincts. yeah exactly. <laughs> what instincts? Right, Frank. What a question this is for you. Get ready. 
If Guardiola started the season yeah. as Manchester United manager, Ooh. where would they be by the Ooh. end of the season? Come on, Frank! Uh, well, they would never be, that's for sure. With all due respect for uh, Ten Hag, I would say that they would be in a better position for one reason. Guardiola won um, the respect of any players. And that's the thing, he's the boss. And it's why it works for City. People listen to him and the Sancho thing would have never happened, for example. Because he would have known, Sancho would have known that he couldn't do that and he would have been punished, heavily punished. So uh, when you have Guardiola as a coach, you know that the guy is a, is a legend as a football player, but as a coach. And when you win Champions League after Champions League, titles after titles, you get the respect from the others. It's what maybe Ten Hag doesn't have right now because of his past, which is not, of course, as big as uh, Guardiola. So I think Guardiola, if he was the coach of Manchester United, it would be in a much better position because people will go for it, will listen to him. Give me a number. Give me a number, Frank. What up. position? Uh, well, according to that, if you think that City won't be in that position, so, <laughs> so maybe <laughs> it changed the cards. Uh, but I would say uh, definitely in the first four because of the player that they have. Top but four? I think, uh, uh, yeah, if I just want to say uh, the, the good thing about Pep Guardiola, sorry, Stevie, to interrupt no, you, no. is that uh, Pep always make any player better. I mean, that is a definition of a coach. Whoever comes to City get better. And not only Ten Hag, there's been a lot of players. Manchester United is a place where you go to get worse. So, Pep, there is non-player player. Can you get one on your hand? Do you think he went to Manchester United the last couple of three seasons and got better? So, I think that will be the big, big change. What position, Jan? Fourth. I think it would be interesting to see if his head exploded or not. Right. Because, well, you see what he's like in the, on the touchline and he's playing with the, with the, with the best players. Yes. And I absolutely agree with the boys that he would make everybody better. But, you know, is Juan Bissaka really going to be able to play out for the back properly? Right. Is Johnny Evans, if he's given Johnny Evans, I mean, he's not exactly John Stones, is he? So where do you think? I think I'll probably go with the boys at fourth. fourth. Aye, but I'd love to see his reactions ever. I mean... <laughs> Ant Anthony and Pep. Oh. <laughs> Anthony, <laughs> aye, exactly. Can you imagine? Uh, that's, that's the intriguing thing. Yeah. If, if, if after six months he just went, I can't do this with this mob. Right. They can't play. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, Jan, rank these underdogs yeah. based on their chances to win their respective leagues. Spurs? Leverkusen, Girona. Leverkusen number one, Ooh, Spurs number two, uh, Girona number three. If we had a floss dance battle, now flossing was something that was done a few years ago, bit of a, a trend, uh, which Seb was doing yesterday uh, for who knows what reason. Who would win in a floss dance battle, Seb or Stevie? Because you've been <laughs> caught, there oh. you go. Well, that's, God, I mean, that's that, a long time ago. Look at Josh there. The, an the answer is in the, uh, the 
I mean, look at that. I can't even do it properly. Look, look at the state. Josh is better than me. Look. Wow. He's, he's, he's and Josh isn't even trying. He's saying, that's my little boy. He was 10. Oh, sorry. Weekend. I thought it was you, Dan. Ah! Frank, Zidane. Oh, we're doing this again. There we go. Look. Beautiful. Josh is not even trying. Uh, Frank, Zidane revealed in his Messi interview that growing up he idolised Enzo'd uh, Franescoli? Franescoli. Franescoli. Franescoli, which player inspired you to play Franescoli, yeah. And which player did you pattern your game after? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. Wow. I would say Franz Beckenbauer. Uh, because of the position that I played and because of what he was able to do, because he was very offensive, he was already a midfielder before um, d- dropping, I would say, and, uh, and finishing as a centre-back. But I love his class, the way he was thinking about the football. And um, he was also a warrior. Don't forget that he played the final, I think, in 66 with a, with a, a broken arm, I think he, he had. So I really, it was a real example and uh, a player who made me think my game differently. And uh, uh, for the second part, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I, I have no, no thought about a player that I could uh, pattern uh, my game after. No, I don't know. There's only one, Frank Some could say, but I don't know any who mentioned. No, that's yeah. not that. It's just me. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I never put myself as a as an example of anybody. I thought there were much better players to take as examples. So I never thought a player would say, "Oh, you know, uh, I would have loved to play like Frank Lebeuf." I never thought that about myself. I wasn't that good to be mentioned as an example to others. I when I when I grew up, uh, my first favorite player was Billy Bremner. I mean, it's not possible wow. to be more different than me, the Leeds captain, the Scots, uh, Scotland uh, player. But uh, as a striker, when I uh, we managed to get a video recorder and I was doing FF and REW to, to go forward and back, I, 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 I studied, and I, I really mean studying, Ian Rush and Gary Lineker. And I, I was just amazed how many times they were all on their own in front of goal. And, and Steve, of course, know Ian Rush very well. The way he had his run ahead of the defender when, when crosses came on mm. and I, there was always something to learn from him and Gary Lineker as well always on his own in, in, the, in the in the five yard box to find out six yard box to find out how his run was was doing I was not a, that kind of player at all but I learned a lot from them too Okay, called Willie Henderson okay but back in the day when I grew up everybody was either a centre forward or a winger and Scottish football was laden with small, jinky, we used to call them jinky wingers. Right. Because they would take people on. Again, we're talking about Doku in the show. Yes, That's yep. why I love it. One on one, a winger, get after them. Get sure. after your man. So a guy called, he played for Rangers. I was a Rangers fan as a kid. And Willie Henderson was a winger. And I was a winger as a kid. So, yeah. Um, Stevie, start bench or drop? Sergio Ramos, Pepe, or Alessandro Martinez? Oh. Um, well, I'd drop Alessandro Martinez and I would start Ramos and bench Pep. That's the nicest thing you'd ever seen. Aye. That's Sergio <laughs> Ramos. 
Got to be honest, aren't you? Well, you get it. very honesty is the best policy. Makes me sick. But, but, Let's yeah. see what Jan's honest um, answer to this is. Who's more important to Manchester City, Erling Haaland or Rodri? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is a good question, by the way. Uh, uh, that is a tough one. I, I without Haaland, I, it's not like everybody then then anyone else would score 50 goals. But we saw Rodri without with his red card. I try not to talk a lot without making a decision, as you understand. Uh, Rodri very important <laughs> for the for the balance. I can't I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I think they are as as important for the team wow. because there's something. Now there's Don't something you forget. Up. Some. Yeah, I'm putting myself on the fence with yeah. my with my. You got your right on there, and you got yeah. the left. You've got splinters right at the bottom. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, Frank, what would your answer be? I would have to go for Rodri for a reason. He's in the middle of the park. He's is uh, very important to um, the way Manchester City will defend, but also will attack. Uh, the, the the game in transition is uh, coming through him and start with him. So he has a more important role than just being a finisher. I don't deny that Alan makes a difference, that's for sure. But Rodri being in the middle of the park is essential to a uh, to City game. What I would just would say, yeah. Dan, if I'm yes, yeah, yeah. No, you've had your say. You're, no. sat, you're stuck on the fence. Don't start. Sit. Have you, uh, you got to answer the question, then fire away. I will. Uh, no, <laughs> no, but uh, uh, what? It, what? I, I hear that sometimes that Haaland is only a finisher. Uh, what I just uh, realized, and a lot of other realized, they tried to win the Champions League now for many years, Pep. And when they got Haaland, they won the champion, Champions League. They won the treble. So I think that is. It. So then I go for Haaland. It's more important. We got. We get off the fence in the end. Uh, there we go, Stevie. <laughs> Rank these managers based on who you'd like to see replace Klopp one day. Deservey, Xavi Alonso, Ooh. Gerard, uh, Lenders, or Simeone? Simone. Um, I would, I would, I mean, I would clearly go for Xavi Alonso. Would you over Deservey? Yeah. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because he's got, you know, Klopp, Klopp is held in the same sort of regard as the Liverpool greatest managers. Yes. Because not just because of what he, how his team plays, but his character. And Xavi Alonso, I think, has got the the perfect character. Everybody loves him. Now, Deserbi is a fantastic coach, clearly, but I'm I'm not sure his 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 charisma is a little different. Okay. <laughs> I don't get the impression that he brings people in, but he's just so good at his job. Whereas I think Xabi Alonso has that little X factor that brings people in. Are you surprised, given what we expected from Steven Gerrard, that he won't be in that conversation when Klopp leaves? No, because you never know. You never know. Right. I, I, you, you, you cannot turn around and say that somebody, just because they were a fantastic player, is going to be a fantastic manager. So it's, it's yeah. kind of a toss of a coin, to be honest. Uh, final question, Frank. Did you audition for Napoleon movie? If given the chance, would you have accepted the role? You could have got that. I know. You're the I right size, cool, isn't, isn't he? Uh, no, for, for one reason. Uh, Napoleon had hair and he was small, which <laughs> is not who I am. Well, I'm, I have no hair reasons. and I'm tall. <laughs> <laughs> so
so <laughs> I cannot be. Yeah, that's two reasons. That's true. That's true. Yeah, yes, two reasons. No, no. Yeah, that would Maybe Six the foot. goal. <laughs> we go with the we with the wig. You know, the I can play the goal with the wig and the big nose, but no, I I can't play Napoleon for sure. Uh, that is it. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you as always for watching. We'll be back tomorrow uh, for a lot more, in particular to see how Spurs respond to their first defeat of the season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com FC. Just go to Indeed.com FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 